The New Testament lesson comes from the, bo- the letter of Peter, 1 Peter, chapter 2. Let us listen for the words of the Lord. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder what you think of when you hear the following phrases. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places that this heart of mine embraces all day through. Or, She loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves me, yeah. Or, I'm waking up to a new age. I feel it in my bones, enough to make my systems blow. I'm radioactive, radioactive, radioactive. These phrases, all of them are song lyrics, and they might have evoked different things in you. The thread of lyrics and music so often pulls us back into the warp of time so that we end up in a different place, playing out the song and the music in our minds, imagining where we were when we heard it or where we were when it meant something to us. Words wind themselves into our memory. We cannot easily shake them. They shape us and build, <coughs> build upon other memories. Music can reveal this, but music isn't alone in this ability. Music helps us connect words in meaningful ways, but there are many other ways that we do this as well. Perhaps embedded deep in your memory is a poem or a speech or something you had to memorize. For me, I can still remember memorizing Emily Dickinson and Patrick Henry in Mrs. Campbell's second grade class at William Fox Elementary School. And even to this day, hearing the line, the morns are meeker than they were, it brings to my imagination so much more than just a poem. It reminds me of chalk dust and blackboards, of tall windows and wooden floors that squeak, and it also reminds me of my huge elementary school crush on a boy who shall remain nameless because I have quickly learned that everyone in Richmond is only separated by two degrees. So, 
We do not exist alone on an island of our own ideas. Our memories are shaped by other people and other places. We want to share questions and thoughts and build a common identity with people without being limited even by time and space. This inclination to reach out and and connect through music or memorizing or some other thing is not new. We can look at human history and see how people have tried to continue and carrying out conversations across time and space. Every age has its own instruments of connectivity, whether it was fireside chats or serial radio, uh, serial newspaper stories and radio stories, or even drums and whistles that would carry across great plains. And these days, Where would the internet be without hyperlinks? Hyperlinks are the texts that are embedded in a web page where when you click on it, it takes you to another article, another place where you can park your brain for a while before connecting with more hyperlinks. Or if you turn to social media, you can find hashtags. Hashtags are pound signs with a phrase after them, and they allow you to jump to other comments people are saying who use the same hashtag. It's a way of sharing perspectives without being limited by the years or miles. Anyone with a mobile device can connect with anyone else in the world. We have this inclination to reach out and connect, and if we look at the text today, we can see the first century version of hyperlinks all through it. If you know what you're looking for, you can see that the writer of Peter is putting many other references to scriptures and other words that meant something important to the readers. We can just list them. The, the phrase from verse 4, see I will lay a stone in Zion, echoes Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 28. The words we said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, recalls Psalm 118, verses 22. Verse 8 echoes Isaiah 8, and Hosea is echoed when we said, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And when Melissa read Psalm 31, we hear the psalmist ask God to be a rock and refuge which can remind us of our own passage in 1 Peter about the stones that build a spiritual home. And if you were listening closely, you might have heard the line in Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my spirit. And remember that these were the words that Christ said on the cross in the Gospels. We have a longing to share, to build our identity through common words and phrases And there are many other ways in the scriptures that they relate to each other and build on what was said before in new ways. The scriptures dance with these interconnections. So why do we care? Well, simply, it shows that this passage and the others that we read aren't just about dead words and phrases trapped and buried in the casket of history. This passage is about living words and phrases, lines that still play in our mind and across our heartstrings, words that can still make meaning in our life. These words are reaching out to us now as if with invisible hands. 
This is why we pass out Bibles to the seniors. It is why we read the scriptures each week, even when we have heard them before. Scriptures ask us to read them over and over again because in the reading we affirm that we never have the perfect answer and that the work of understanding is never complete and finished. This passage isn't dead. It isn't about some ancient people whom we can forget. It is alive. It is about us here and now. And when you read it, I wonder, for you, who are the stones today? What is being built in your own life today? Who is at the cornerstone of your life? Indeed, we are asked to treat these words as if they were chosen and precious stones. We pick up a Bible verse, look at it more closely, inspect its weight and color, see where it is smooth and where it might be sanded, And then we are asked to take these words and other words and experiences in our lives and bind them together bit by bit by grace and faith and work until together we build something important. We are in this building today worshiping this creator who loves us because we choose to believe that we are connected to something bigger than ourselves. We choose to believe that God is already at work in the world through the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. There is work of justice and mercy and righteousness being done already. It is not up to us to start the work. It is up to us to join in. Indeed, the words that we read from 1 Peter describe us using the passive voice. It is no accident that it says we are being chosen by God, we are being built, we are called out of darkness, we have received mercy. We aren't the ones picking the building materials. We have our own ideas about what makes good stuff or successful or more beautiful place to build. We have our own ideas, so we aren't picking the building materials. God is. And we aren't the ones starting the action. God is. It is up to us to participate. And sure, we can pretend that we don't actually have a purpose or a reason for being here. We can stand off on our own, believing that these stones of scripture and faith are just dead things. We all know people who do this and live their life just fine. But we can choose to live differently. We can choose to come together, bringing all of our quirks and questions and talents. We can build together a spiritual home where all might know and discover again God's justice and mercy, grace and love. We might not always understand this world or this thing we call faith, and sometimes we might not even know what to believe. However, what the scriptures are asking, what God is asking through the scriptures, is not for us to achieve perfection and be done. We are being asked to come alive, to live into hope, to embody faith, to practice believing that the Holy Spirit will show up again and again. The biblical professor and womanist theologian Renita Weems 
writes often about how injustice might blot out our understanding of a just God. And she writes this statement. Faith is what happens between the last time you experienced God and the next time you experience God. Faith should not be locked away as a dead stone. It is the connection that keeps us following the next scripture reference, the next hyperlink, the next experience of God. Faith is the mortar that binds together our living stones of holy moments. Having faith doesn't mean we don't have questions and doubts. Having faith means that we believe God is using our questions and doubts, as well as our hopes and discoveries, our joys and desires. So we have a choice. We can read the scriptures as a collection of dead words, and we can live our lives lives as if they are just stones sitting there, not connected to anything, with no real purpose. Or... We can read the scriptures as a collection of living, breathing words, words worth talking about, words worth questioning, words worth believing. And we can choose to live our life as if it is a living stone, something that can be used by the Holy Spirit, something that can be built upon. We can choose to believe that we will be shaped and sanded by Christ's love, until it fits into the structures of God's justice here on earth. It is easy to look at this world and feel afraid and uncertain. However, it is what we do with the fear and the doubt and the uncertainty that matters. God wants to use it. God wants to use all of us to bring about a more righteous world, God wants to use all of our questions in order to deepen our faith, to strengthen the bonds that connect us. What do you do with fear and uncertainty? Do you hide away all on your own? Or do you gather with others to ask questions and listen to responses, to read the scriptures and ask more questions, to serve others and do outreach and then come back together over and over again until over time you realize that you have let yourself become a more beautiful revelation of Christ's hope and love in this world. These actions of questions and responding and reading is what the Confirmans have been doing for the past few months. They have gathered regularly with mentors and read the Bible, talked about faith, and today they affirmed that, yes, they want to be built into this church community. Today they have chosen to believe that their lives are living stones, ready to be built into something. They've chosen to affirm that God's grace is alive, Christ's love is real, that our faith altogether is important. And today, we, the congregation, have listened and chosen to affirm that these confirmands are our living stones. The session has agreed to accept them into the ruling, governing body and uh, membership of this church. And so we, as the Presbyterian Church USA, have chosen to believe that this church needs this confirmand's input and ideas, their presence, their opinions, and their ministry. Together, Today, we've chosen to build ourselves into a spiritual home. 
Once you were not a people, now you are God's people, as 1 Peter says. Recently in the news, we've started paying attention to what's been happening in villages in, throughout northeast Nigeria, and we particularly read about the kidnapping of over 200 girls from a boarding school last month. However, for the past three years, Boko Haram, the fringe militant group, has been burning schools and raiding villages. The the international news network Al Jazeera estimates that Boko Haram has burned down 800 classrooms so far, killing at least 100 students and 70 teachers. This is hard stuff to read. It is hard to see any reason for hope and faith when we're confronted with so much death. And for these girls in these villages, going to school is a dangerous activity, and many have had to flee to avoid being killed or worse. One student, who gives her name as Mary, not her real name to protect her identity, was a student at the now-closed Askira Uba Secondary School that was terrorized by Boko Haram and was in the country's most dangerous region, She said, I vowed never to go to school again because of the murder I witnessed. The Boko Haram had made her an orphan after killing her whole family. But now she lives with her uncle and goes to school miles away from her home. She says the memory of her parents makes her determined to complete her education. When I grow up, I want to be a lecturer. I want to impart knowledge onto others in order to develop my state where a lot of girls do not get to go to school, she said. And another girl, who, who gives her name as Joy, said, they killed a lot of people and they burned down my school. I escaped. But she continues to go to school because education is the root of every aspect of human development. I am inspired by the work I saw the doctors and nurses do when my school was attacked. I hope to assist my parents who are poor and also my fellow human beings, especially the widows and orphans in my town who are victims of these attacks. Both of these girls had a choice. Mary and Joy and others could have given up on school learning. They could have chosen to live as if education means death. No one would have blamed them. Instead, They chose to live as if education means life. We can learn from them, and we can follow their example. For we, even here and now, can choose to believe that death has the last word, or we can choose to believe in the resurrection and affirm that God's justice has the final word. We can choose to believe that our lives are connected to others and that what we do here in this church is important. We can choose to believe that by the grace of God, we are being shaped into something more loving and that together we have the ability to build something more just. One last story. On Martin Luther King Day in 2013, Michael and I decided to take a day trip on a train We love train travel, and since we had that Monday off, we decided to visit the town of Salisbury in North Carolina, outside of Charlotte. We arrived mid-morning and walked around exploring the downtown, but things hadn't really opened up yet, so we continued to wander and found ourselves in a cemetery called Old English Cemetery next to a small Episcopal church. 
We wandered around reading headstones and taking photos. Or correction, I took photos and ordered Michael to either stay still in the shot or get out of the way. (laughs) We started to hear music coming from a church down the hill from us. And we wandered towards the music, recognizing some of the songs and realizing it was probably a celebration for Martin Luther King Day. We came to the edge of Old English Cemetery near the church where we found an empty green field with a broken wall. I took some photos of the wall, and we both wondered aloud why an empty field had a circling wall around it with stones. Then we found the name on our maps. This was Friedman's Cemetery. We were wrong. This field wasn't empty. It just didn't have markers. This place was, is the burial ground for probably hundreds of human beings, both enslaved and freed. Because they were black and poor, what markers there were would have been had worn away with time to leave just this field. And to this day, only about 140 of those buried are known by name. So we stood there, reading about the wall, learning that in 1770 this had started as a plot of land for soldiers, both black and white, and then in the mid-19th century, people became concerned that the graves were intermingling. They wanted to make sure that the divisions of race were clear even in death. They wanted to make sure that there was a dividing line between the graves, even long after the bodies within them had ceased to exist in any known form. So they built a wall, carefully placing each stone on top of stone. And this is how it stood for 150 years. And then in 2005, they decided to do something with the wall. The community came together. They built a memorial for those whose names were known. And they had a service of racial reconciliation at the wall and broke some of the stones. They didn't cart them away, though. They decided to leave them there leave them in pieces on the ground in part, and leave a chasm in the wall where the two burial grounds could touch. But they believed that these stones had told a story of painful injustice for 150 years, and they didn't want to erase that story. They wanted instead to transform it. They wanted to tell a story about the ongoing work of racial and ethnic reconciliation where we can still stub our toes on the slabs. So Michael and I stood there walking around, not really knowing what to say. And then this church service down the road, down the hill, let out, and the people poured out, and one man walked over towards us. He introduced himself as Reuben. He was a business leader in the town, and we asked him about a place we could watch the inauguration and just some other things that were open that day. We all stood there. Reuben was black. Michael and I are white. And we didn't know what to say, but we acknowledged that this place was feeling important, sacred. Reuben offered to pray. And Reuben and Michael stood on one side of the wall, and I stood on the other, and we each held hands, and we circled there, and Reuben prayed. And we stood, and I don't remember the words exactly, but I remember that it was a holy moment. We all said amen, and then again, we didn't know what to say. It's a theme. But then we just bid ourselves farewell, said goodbye, went our separate ways, and each walked away knowing that we had experienced something important. 
There was no Hollywood ending where the skies broke open and we all discovered that we're long-lost cousins, and I doubt we'll ever see Reuben again. But in this moment, the ground on which we stood was no longer dirt and grass, but instead something holy and beautiful. It was a moment where God, the breath of the Holy Spirit, breathed through the lips of a stranger and connected us all in prayer. This was a moment where hands of different colors stretched across a dividing wall. A moment when those stones of that wall came alive and told a story of life and death, of reconciliation and new beginnings, and the work that still needs to be done. Together, by the grace of God, Reuben, Michael, and I placed our own holy moment on top of those existing stones. The stones came alive, our lives intertwined, and faith connected us. And indeed, today, our confirmands have come alive, made an affirmation of faith, and joined the work of the kingdom. Each of us today have affirmed with our faith and our prayers and our reading aloud that we are alive, that we have, been chose, we have chosen to believe that what we are doing here is important, that we still have things to learn and there is still work to do. So as we go forth today, may we let these scriptures speak to us with holy connections. May the stones of this building come alive with love and grace. May each of us remember how we are all being used, all of our quirks and questions, times and talents, being used to build something together for the kingdom of God. May we remember the words of affirmation, and may we come alive and together build something of God. Let us pray. Lord, we commit to you because you have asked us to join in the work of your world. We give you thanks for the ways that you are present here. We give you thanks for the ways we are able to choose to come alive. Be with us as we continue to seek your work. In your name we pray. Amen.